0: Hey readers and writers, this episode was recorded with Squadcast, a web-based software that records studio-quality episodes from anywhere in the world. Squadcast records at each user's end and then uploads it to the cloud, so even if the call quality wasn't great at the time, the end file is always perfect, so that's a good thing, and it's never lost, which is even better. (laughs) It's a paid service, so there is that, but for me, it's been worth it. If you're in the market for recording software, there's a link in the show notes to get a free trial. Now let's get on with the show.
1: it was it was freeing to be able to just sit down and write words on the other hand structurally i opened every chapter with an anecdote which is either you can say that's tv or you can call it a wall street journal alien uh but um i wanted to bring you into the book through an event and and through an event involving a person I want you to care about these people. Hi, David. Hi, Deb. Thanks for having
0: me. Thanks for being on. How's your day going so far? Today's pretty good.
1: Nice weather. Uh, The dog is sleeping behind me. Uh,
0: (laughs) My wife's out shopping and
1: we'll be back soon. So the day is lovely
0: awesome um if your dog's anything like mine the minute she comes back to the house it's going to be bark 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 bark
1: bizarrely this is an old dog and she has gone mm-hmm. deaf so uh. she will not know that my wife has come back until i take yeah. her until i literally until you carry her i carry her down <laughs> the stairs because the legs don't work that well anymore mm-hmm. we love her she's a puggle by the name of buffy
0: Oh, and that she reminds is, me. I had a, I had a puggle who passed recently.
1: Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, it, yeah. Our, I say recently. It's been a year, but he was 15. No, years.
1: that's recent. Yeah. Our, well, Buffy's 16, and her quote sister. I mean, they weren't from the same order, but but our mm. other dog of the same era also passed recently. So, oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. But um, Buffy's here to make us happy, so that's okay. <laughs>
0: Um, So, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Okay. Um, I'm a a 50 plus year journalist in various forms. I was born in New York, grew up in Western Massachusetts, and uh, found out that a local prep school had a carrier current radio station. And convinced my parents that I wanted to go to that prep school as a day student because I wanted a better education when, Mm -hmm. in fact, what I wanted to be was on the radio.
0: So (laughs) So you were devious from a young age.
1: I, I was devious from a young age and got a good education in the process and then ended up following broadcasting jobs all over the country. Uh, ended up, uh, I was an investigative reporter at various television stations. Then I joined mm-hmm. NBC news, went overseas to cover all sorts of big events. I, I walked oh, through nice. the Berlin wall the night it opened, came back to the States, was a show producer for NBC and then ABC, and then opened my mm-hmm. own production company, which eventually led to diners, drive-ins and dives. I married my broadcast lawyer. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, proposed on the first date seemed like the thing to do. We have...
0: (laughs) Well, when you know, you know, really.
1: You know, you know. Um, Also, one of the great things about working at NBC was you're in 30 Rock, which is this Mm -hmm. fantastic building, which I don't think it's still open anymore. But at the time, they had a bar in the Rainbow Room on the 65th floor. Mm -hmm. And so when you convince your lawyer to go for a drink with you after work, it's a hell of a setting. Um, Mm -hmm. in which to say, by the way, do you want to get married? So that worked out. (laughs) Um, We have a wonderful daughter who is actually a poet, and we live on a little um, vacation island in the Jersey Shore. And um, these days I'm uh, writing another book and also doing a radio show on uh, music of the Great American Songbook. So that's me in, in a nutshell.
0: You have had a very busy life. And I have to say, you have a wonderful voice for a radio show.
1: Thank you. Actually, it's a little deceiving because if I could. Is this your
0: radio voice? (laughs) No,
1: this is my regular voice. But the problem is, from a technical standpoint, it's Mm -hmm. not good enough for voiceover work. I'd have killed to have been Don LaFontaine or Dan Ingram, one of those guys who read Mm -hmm. all the commercials. But I crack in the low register, don't tell anyone. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well now it, now all 300 listeners now.
1: okay sorry guys
0: <laughs> so let's talk about your latest work uh food americana um where did you get the inspiration for it i
1: um grew up uh, without much of a focus on the quality of food it was put mm-hmm. in front of me i ate it and i ate too much but i wasn't As a child or a young adult, what you'd call a foodie. Mm -hmm. And then um, NBC called me up in the Chicago Bureau one day and said, Would you like to move to England? And I said, "Uh, Okay. But I had never, yeah, it was fine. Uh, I had never considered the possibility of living outside of the United States. Frankly, I hadn't really much thought about visiting outside the United States. Um, I, I had, unintentionally, I guess, kind of a xenophobic view. And when I got to London and from there I moved to Frankfurt and then to Budapest, but my my Mm -hmm. mandate was um, basically Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. And I found myself going to country after country that I unfortunately knew almost nothing about. Mm -hmm. And as I schooled myself, I I realized that... um, one of the gateways to a culture, to a society, to a people is their food. Mm-hmm. That eating with people, eating their food, talking with them about it helps you learn, reveals a lot about the, the history of a place, the mindset of a place. I mean, there is importance to the fact that in France, you don't walk down the street eating a sandwich for lunch. The work-life balance in France requires that you sit down and have a lunch. And, and okay. that's reflective of of the society. Um, by the same token in in Greece, the meza, the small plates that that you find on the table, are reflective of a society that deeply values um socializing, spending time with other people. the right. ph- the philosopher Epicurus, and and yes, there was one, and that's where the word epicurean comes from. Uh, was quoted as saying that you should select your dining companions before you decide what you're going to eat, because to eat by yourself is to be like a wolf, not not social. Um, Mm -hmm. In Tuscany, the fact that so many of their dishes are based um, in wild boar as the protein source reflects the fact that this was an incredibly poor region for a very long time. Or if you were going to eat, you had to catch it yourself off the land. So that, that, uh, that sense of food and culture and history struck me deeply.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I moved back to the States, still working in network news, I, I now had a new way to look at food and to evaluate food. And my interest continued to grow to the point where when I went out on my own, uh, I developed diners. Uh, diners, drive mm-hmm. and dives, right. which allowed me to further my my interests in in food, how it related to people, how it related to the culture, and finally, at one day, I looked up and said, "You know, I want to write a book okay. about this because it had been uh, festering. Makes it sound like a bad thing. It's not a bad. It was smoldering. Let's put it that way. Mm. In, I think in, any writer understands yeah. that feeling." Um, also, you know, there's a subtext to that. Every TV producer thinks I can write a book Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: what people don't know is writing for television is in some respects harder than writing prose because what you can write and what you need to write are dictated by what you have on video. You have to write to it and you have to explain it. It's not, you can't just sit down at the keyboard and write, it was a dark and stormy night and then Oedipus killed his father. You Mm -hmm. have to, sorry, no, it's his father. Um, (laughs) And kind of deep inside all of us is this desire to simply be able to sit down and just let the words come out without having to think about integrating them with visuals and frankly, Mm -hmm. subsuming them to the three-dimensional story that you're trying to tell through pictures and sound. Um, so I said, hey, let's write a book. And I did. It took longer than I thought. It took two years. I expected one. <laughs> but I, I was kind of dumb in the way I, I chose my first book in that each chapter is on a different food item or food way. And Uh only after I got into it did I realize I had to do as much research for each chapter as I might have had to do for a book on that subject. So it it took quite a while. And that was an enjoyable Mm -hmm. process. Um, And uh, I I really had a good time. And I managed to learn a lot. One of the things I I faced was, um, am I rambling? You okay with this? Uh
0: this is a okay. good
1: ramble. Go ahead. One, one of the things I, I, I found quite quickly, remember, I come from among my many backgrounds in journalism. Mm-hmm. I spent a long time as an investigative reporter, an investigative mm-hmm. producer. And then I ran, I was the senior investigative producer for 2020. So the concept of pinning down facts and truth is very important to me. And mm-hmm. I found that in the world of food history, there's an awful lot of BS out there. If if you if you read the stories that keep getting repeated, every single thing on Earth was invented at the 1904 World's Fair.
0: Uh, <laughs> I don't think i would ever heard
1: that. You know, so well. Allegedly, the ice cream cone. Okay, it wasn't um, so a lot
0: of the classic Americana allegedly
1: food. the hamburger. It was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Meantime, there are several places across the country that claim to have invented the hamburger. None of which is provable, and much of which is pretty demonstrably untrue. So mm-hmm. it was it was interesting in chasing the facts behind foods to be able to determine what was true and, and what was a legend.
0: Interesting. Um, I don't know why this is reminding me of every time I go see my grandmother in Pennsylvania, we pass a little tiny ass dive bar and mm-hmm. their sign says that they have the third hottest hot wings in the world
1: well they declared it so they're right i, <laughs> <laughs> I mean and i
0: remember my husband and i we, we always joke about how do they know it's the third i mean well, that's you don't interesting want to claim first to, i know it's it's so interesting that they're like well we're clearly not the best and we're not the second best but we're pretty darn good
1: well what's great about it is you're talking about it it worked
0: exactly here i am talking about it worked it. <laughs> What was your favorite part about doing the book? Like, which which section, I guess, did you like the best?
1: Well, there were two sections that particularly pleased me. I had a really good mm-hmm. time with all of them. Number one, I, I'm a New York Jew of a certain age. Mm-hmm. My death row meal is uh, lox bagels and cream cheese. Um, spending time at Russ and Daughters, which mm-hmm. is a more than 100-year-old um, appetizing store on the Lower East Side of New York, appetizing mm-hmm. mostly being smoked fish. It was a an immigrant standby for years. Um, being able to spend time with those folks was just delightful, especially because they let me go behind the counter and Ooh. attempt to slice lox, which... Um, I is, like that
0: you said attempt to slice.
1: Well, I ended up with a pile of mush. It is an incredibly mm-hmm. difficult thing to do um, the, the gentleman who had been doing it for 40 years, who has since retired, who was trying to teach me as with many of the appetizing stores these days was from central or South America. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the counterman job ha- is, um, not stopped by a whole lot of Jews anymore. Um, but you have these people who've been with these shops forever They're Mm -hmm. as much a part of the family as as if they were born there. Nonetheless, going behind the counter with them was was terrific. And what was great, remember, I, as I said, as a kid, I was in New York. My grandparents on my father's side lived on the Lower East Side. So this was like falling back into my childhood. Mm -hmm. And the patrons of the store were such wonderful characters to talk to. A guy named Bob Bozick, who had been a heavyweight fighter um his claim to fame was that he survived fighting larry holmes without getting knocked out and he was glad eager to show me the picture from his wallet of him with larry holmes mm-hmm. but he told great stories about being an up-and-coming boxer and going and hanging out with the Jewish mobsters who ran boxing in New York at the time. Oh my as God, he that sounds like it. an
0: amazing book right there.
1: Thank you. And and he would go, <laughs> and there was this one gangster who was the kingpin of boxing, and they would get appetizing from Russ and daughters, and then everyone would put their pull their chairs up around his bed. And they they'd eat whitefish and lox and just schmooze about, you know, who was up, who was down. That was great. That was fantastic. Mm -hmm. The other um, there were a number of things, again, that I really enjoyed, like going to pizza school in San Francisco. But um, the uh, I, I went to Memphis in May. The uh, mm-hmm. what some people consider to be the Super Bowl of barbecue championships. Other people mm-hmm. would argue for the Royal in Kansas City. I'm a Memphis and May guy. Anyway, mm-hmm. when I was looking into, I wanted to go to Memphis and May. Mm-hmm. And when I started looking into it, I found much to my astonishment that a two-time grand champion there, they had won the previous year, was uh, The Shed, a barbecue joint in Mississippi, that I had profiled on diners, drive-ins, and dives. So I called them up and said, could I be a fly on the wall with you guys? And they said, mm-hmm. come on down. So it gave me, um, as a writer, it gave me a universe. I, I told this whole story from my base of hanging out with them mm-hmm. and and their battle to repeat as champion. And from that, I was able to to explore the rest of the event but the event itself was this orgy of pig fat it was just extraordinary i mean i i've never had well once i i had it's a different kind of barbecue this is pork barbecue it was unbelievable and and
0: again i didn't you're making me hungry as a writer
1: (laughs) you know to really be a writer you have to be curious and you want to experience stuff you mm-hmm. want to meet people there was this guy sitting in his tent by himself on a high top stool and i i went up and interviewed him because his his barbecue joint was uh was from uh Illinois and i thought that's weird
0: uh mm-hmm.
1: barbecue in Illinois and i asked him a whole bunch of questions and then I realized after I got back to my hotel room, he was one of the past multiple winners of this thing. He was a, a leading figure in barbecue, and I had interviewed him, you know, like interviewing Babe Ruth, like he was a rookie. So I okay. went back the next day and said, "I'm so embarrassed." He said, "Nah, don't don't worry about it." And then I I talked to the guys from the Japanese Barbecue Association for. Over here, competing, and mm-hmm. it was just—I mean, there it was—it was a woman who was a judge who had stopped by the shed's tent, and I was talking with her, and I admired the barbecue watch she was wearing, so she took it off and gave it to me. I mean, it was just—it was <laughs> a love. It was a, lov- a love. It sounds event.
0: like you had an amazing experience. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, the whole idea, uh, and I guess this comes from fifty years as a journalist, but. If I'm going to tell you about something, I better damn well be able to describe it to you.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that you traveled for this book. I, I,
1: and I couldn't I travel like as, lo- as much as I want would have wanted to because, oh, let's yeah? face it, the economics, there were a number mm-hmm. of things where I had to hire freelancers in various right. places to, to do things Where did
0: for you me. get to travel to that you wanted to?
1: Uh, the Buffalo Hot Wings Festival. Uh, would have been very nice. Um, I mean, I would have wanted to travel every place I could, especially to Mm -hmm. Phoenix, where um, there's a phenomenal um, artisanal pizzeria called Pizza Bianco, Pizza Bianco, run by Chris Mm -hmm. Bianco, who is very much, um, in some respects, the leading artisan in the revival of artisan pizza. I couldn't get out there. Um, but, uh, I had, I had someone go to the place and I, I, talked to all of these people at great length. And if I had a freelancer go someplace, I had them, uh, send me videos and pictures and, you know, so nice. I, yeah. I, I was able and describe to describe the way it, it. smells.
0: Seems oh, yeah, absolutely. Important.
1: Well, that's one of the hard things is explaining, making, um, food, I was going to say tastes good, but, but beyond that taste. In any way, you have you have mm-hmm. to bring people into food. I mean, in in television, you can do it. Not a lot of people do, but you can do it through sound. Um, mm-hmm. When when I was doing diners, we used to spend twenty three hours audio sweetening each episode, so that when you saw the burger go on the grill, even though it was hard to hear under the hood, we would add the sound of the burger going onto the grill. All of which would would help you salivate uh, mm-hmm. help help you enjoy the experience with prose, you just have to explain it. Uh, I mean mm-hmm. in in the barbecue section, I found myself um you know, you write, then you edit, then you edit, then you edit. I must have removed the word glistening five hundred times from my initial draft because <laughs> how else do you describe massive amounts of pig fat dripping mm-hmm. down onto? onto a, a smoker. Um, it was the, the, the shed folks, um, their smoker for their, um, their competition, uh, hog cause they cook whole hog, whole hog barbecue was built into the side of an old Willie's Jeep. It was just okay. great. And what I did when they were ripping the the meat apart to send the boxes to, to there's two kinds of judging one some judges come to you but then mm-hmm. there's the blind box competition where you put it in a box and the box has a number and the other judges don't know who you are when they taste the food after mm-hmm. they filled the blind boxes to to send up to the judges i just held back in the trailer they'd been cutting them in and i just gorged <laughs> I stole all the leftovers. It was fantastic.
0: Um, so you've mentioned diners, drive-ins, and dives a couple times. How is how was writing the book different than writing the show? How does that? You said you the said writing for TV words, was harder, and yeah, how? the words
1: came first. Um, in diners, writing for television, if it's done right, is an invisible process. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to push the viewer without them realizing they're being pushed from Mm -hmm. one event to another. So you're writing around things. You're writing the second half of a sentence that someone started. You are referring to subtly, I hope. I hate when someone says, you know, when there's a sunset and someone says in the script, sunset over the schmeggy farm. What what they should say when you see the sunset is, in only five hours, this family will find out if they lose their farm. I mean, it's referring to the sunset without saying Mm -hmm. it's a sunset. Um, Writing the book, uh, well, first of all, I wrote it very much to feel like a stream of consciousness conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly. My structure was very much TV-like in that I based as much as I could around actual events with people and their quotes, Mm -hmm. Um, but I had the ability to to say things without having to have a visual to back them up. In other words, I opened the pizza chapter with me um, just about burning myself to death, trying to turn... A pizza inside a pizza oven at Tony Gemignani's Pizza School, and realizing mm-hmm. that in this class I was not the smart kid. Okay. Um, that was me telling a picture story the way I wanted to tell it, without having to look at the video and say, "Well, what did we catch? You know, did we catch my face looking unhappy? Uh, if not, how do I tell that story?" Mm-hmm. It was. It was freeing to be able to just sit down and write words. On the other hand, structurally, I opened every chapter with an anecdote, which is either you can say that's TV or you can call it a Wall Street Journal, a lead, uh, a head. Mm -hmm. But um, I wanted to bring you into the book through an event And, and through an event involving a person. I want you to care about these people. I want you to care that this couple spent 96 hours in line waiting for this White Castle to open as a way of you understanding just how much White Castle means to some people. Um,
0: I have to confess, I've never had White Castle. We don't uh, have one around here and I've never experienced it.
1: Well, White Castle, people don't realize this. White Castle was the beginning of the fast food hamburger. And it was also the savior of the entire hamburger um, element of our cuisine. In the 1920s, really? um, shortly after Upton Sinclair's book, well, Upton Sinclair wrote a book called The Jungle. It was, mm-hmm. um, it was fiction, but it was based on his undercover reporting in slaughterhouses in Chicago. Mm-hmm. The book scared the bejesus out of America about the way in which meat was processed. Mm-hmm. And made it real clear that horrible, unsafe, unsanitary, dangerous food was being uh sent out of these slaughterhouses, and as a result, the worst of the worst was considered to be hamburger, so Americans um were terrified of chopped meat from like nineteen o six to nineteen twenty 1920. in nineteen twenty one um a white castle opened, and uh, what they decided, what the owner decided, was um, I'm going to convince people that hamburgers are safe. So mm-hmm. they, they, um, I mean, I say open. He took over an existing hamburger stand and then turned it okay. into a chain. But the the way he did that was to build a place that was entirely reminiscent of a hospital or medical facility in that it was all white porcelain and stainless steel. What could be cleaner than that? The Mm -hmm. the food preparation area was in full view of the customers and Mm -hmm. it was White Castle that resurrected the hamburger as an item that was safe. It was also White Castle that figured out the assembly line method of making hamburgers to the extent that White Castle burgers are square. They're Mm -hmm. square because that makes it possible to get more of them on the grill at the same time. Mm
0: -hmm. It
1: was White Castle that figured out that there should be assembly stations, the whole assembly line method of of making fast food. It was not Ray Crockett McDonald's who invented
0: it. I was was just thinking, that I think McDonald's has a different story here.
1: Uh, Well, McDonald's came later, and McDonald's Mm -hmm. uh, basically um, improved upon this concept. Mm -hmm. And then McDonald's franchised White Castle never did. All White Castles are company-owned, so they never grew the way Burger King did. But, But White Castle is responsible for the American fast food hamburger. And White Castle is good. Um, if you like that kind of food, it's very mm-hmm. hard to taste any meat in a White Castle because it's a tiny burger in a substantial bun where the basic flavor is the onions that are on top. Of
0: okay. It. I have heard but, there's a lot of onions on yeah, White Castle. They're
1: small. You can eat a dozen of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Their slogan has always been buy them by the sack. Um. And these days they've become kind of a retro nostalgia thing. They've just opened uh two massive white castles, one in Phoenix and one in blah blah blah. I think Florida. Yeah, I think Orlando. Okay. Um, so they're having a moment. Um mm-hmm. they're good. They're they're, you know, I, I wouldn't suggest a diet based on them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they're fine. They're historic.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm in like Upstate, mid-New York, and they just have not made it here.
1: Well, what's, what's your burger place of choice? You must have a local burger joint or a local mm. hot dog joint or a local barbecue. It's
0: it's, it's hard. I'm actually allergic to wheat.
1: Oh, no.
0: I know. So it's um, very hard for me to have one of those.
1: Stuff to be a beer drinker, and, and you're going to have yep, a problem I, with I can't pizza. drink beer anymore. Oh, yeah. what a shame.
0: Mm-hmm. I get hives and, yeah. I'm actually just allergic to it
1: oh no that's 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 a waste <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> i know i can't eat a lot of i'm yeah, sorry <laughs> I,
1: I did a syndicated series called beer geeks all about mm-hmm. craft beer so um i developed a taste for it that i didn't really have before the show
0: <laughs> well the burger places around here um i don't know the best places are probably like the local bar slash pubs um that give you the good stuff but i mean you have five guys burger king yeah but
1: those are you must have a local guy i mean is it calvin trillin the famed writer who will tell you he's not a food writer but who did an awful lot of important writing on food i Mm -hmm. was lucky enough in the course of researching the book to have lunch with him and and he firmly believes that Everyone needs to believe that the best burger in the world is the one they grew up loving. So for him, Mm. he grew up in Kansas City. So his favorite burger is Winstead's. If you grew up in Minnesota, it it had to be Culver's. It's just that that's, uh, you Mm. know, we found this on diners. Frequently, people would recommend places that were their childhood favorites. And when you'd look into it, the food really wasn't that good. It wasn't good enough but to put the on the show. Attached to but it. it was their place.
0: Mm-hmm. They have a good memory of yeah, something about fine. that. And that's, yeah. It's like songs. Like your favorite song isn't necessarily a good song, just you have a good memory attached to it. Oh, all
1: no, that. all of my favorite songs are good songs. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah, no, I'm of what a certain been age. Been yeah. The same thing. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> so. How are the two processes different between television and the book? How did your, pro- how did your writing process have to change?
1: It, it didn't change that much because yeah. I approached it structurally mm-hmm. as much like television as I could in that the things I like about television stories are focusing on individuals. And finding detail that'll make someone... I mean, we used to call it, holy shit, Martha. Can I swear on this? Absolutely. Okay. My, I do my, all, okay. all
0: the times. <laughs> we, You're
1: looking to put something on the screen that would make someone watching look up and go, holy shit, Martha, look at that. I didn't know that, to keep mm-hmm. their interest. Um, in writing, Um. I, had, I didn't change the concept of writing for the year. I wrote as I spoke. And mm-hmm. in fact, I had trouble with the copy editors um, because I intentionally write for emphasis. I'll cut a sentence in half, put a period halfway through, then capitalize the, the word that begins the second half of the sentence for emphasis. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's not technically grammatically correct. So I was getting a lot Mm -hmm. of corrections back. And I finally had to have a come to Jesus and say, no, no. If you have a real serious problem with this, talk to me. But don't go changing my style. Okay?
0: Right. At that point, it is stylistic. Yeah.
1: I know the rules I'm breaking. Now, you can't break rules until you know them. There's a lot of real shitty TV that's being made because... These young kids today never learned the rules of cutting video, mm-hmm. uh, having come up in an era where jump cuts and, and various other tricks were properly employed by those who knew how to use them because they knew the rules they were breaking.
0: Mm-hmm. You,
1: you got a generation that early on just figured you could slap video together any way you want. No, you got to know the rules before you break them. But when mm-hmm. you break them, you got to break them for emphasis or import. Um, uh, this second, remind era. me a
0: lot of artists, um, mm-hmm. like uh, the impressionist artists, oh, or yeah. the modern ones. I mean, they could paint classically beautifully. I mean, you. Yeah. Everybody says, "Well, I could do that," and you have to be like, "No, no, they are trained. They're actually very good, and they just chose this is a style."
1: I I had a meal at Olinia in Chicago that, that included that proof. Alinea, uh, I I think, well, do you know Alinea? It's got, it's got three Michelin stars. It's one of the greatest restaurants on earth. And at one time, my production company was looking at doing a show with them. Mm -hmm. The chef Grant Ackett's insisted that I and my development chief come have dinner at Alinea. Now, uh, what a shame. Um, (laughs) Alinea is a a molecular style restaurant, very strange foods done in very strange ways. Mm -hmm. And it's fabulous. But halfway through this remarkable meal, a plate comes out of Escoffier beef, the most traditional French presentation of beef that could possibly be done its provenance goes back hundreds of years, and it's there just to remind you, I know what the hell I'm doing. I started out doing this stuff. Now mm-hmm. continue to enjoy my evolution into molecular gastronomy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was a fabulous meal. Fabulous. It sounds meal. like it. Oh, yeah. Well, let me put it this way. <laughs> I, I He wouldn't let us pay, but I needed to know what the meal cost so I can mm-hmm. tip appropriately. And he said, well, I don't know, $1,000, 1200 Oh, said, my goodness. You. I said, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> wow. I don't think I've ever had a meal cost that much, although we don't go to three-star Michelin restaurants. Well, it's
1: interesting. There are meals that you can argue, I mean, what is the value of money to you? Uh, mm-hmm. There are meals I have had that I can completely justify that kind of stupid price tag. There are also meals that charge that, and you don't go to them more than you know. If it's your thirtieth anniversary, it, these are right. super special occasion mm-hmm. meals. It's not everyday food. Right. But I recall being extremely disappointed. I took my wife to Eleven Madison Park, which at one time was listed number one in the world on the fifty best restaurants list, and mm-hmm. it has three Michelin stars, and everyone loves it. And I was deeply disappointed, as was she. The food was good. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't $2,000 good.
0: Right. There is, um, well, there was a restaurant here that was considered the best restaurant in town. It, it wasn't a $2,000 meal. Um, but I remember my husband and I went there for an anniversary. And I remember at the end of the meal going, I could have made something better than this. Like, yeah, it's... It's, it was okay, but it wasn't great. No, like, look... I remember getting a creme brulee as dessert. And I'm just like... No, like I have made stuff better than this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's look, um, good food is good food. Mm -hmm. Many, many restaurants are full of crap in, in telling you that their food is special and charging appropriately. Mm -hmm. Other places deserve it. Mm-hmm. We fell into a place in New York, and New York's a wonderful place because there's so much good food. But to me, what makes a food city is the fact that pretty much any restaurant you fall into is going to be damn good. That, that's what I yeah. love about Rome mm-hmm. and Paris and Madrid. Well, to some extent, that's true in New York. We fell into a place we hadn't been before the other day and had one of the meals of our life. And later on Facebook, I mentioned it, and a bunch of my friends from all over the country said, oh, yeah, been there. It's great. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right, thanks for telling me. The other night, I was, I, I was interviewed by South Korean television uh, on this subject, food. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing a documentary that includes um, American food. And I was taken after the interview by uh, the delightful interviewer. To what he says is, in his view, the best Korean restaurant in New York. Now, I don't know much about Korean food. The the big Mm -hmm. hole in my reporting career and my gastronomic um, research has Mm -hmm. been Asian for the most part. And this was sort of a nouvelle take on Korean, he explained to me. Uh, Nothing we Mm -hmm. had was as you would have had it in someone's home, but it was phenomenal. It was just incredible. Now, I was the guest. We had a tasting menu. It was $200 a piece. I, I personally would, gl- I'm, I told my wife, I'm going to take it. I mean, th- mm-hmm. there was absolute value in that meal. First mm-hmm. of all, it was something I had never had before. Secondly, mm-hmm. it was impeccably made. Thirdly, and this is really important, the service was friendly, not stuffy. You could joke with a waitress. Um, it, I'll give the place a plug. Its name is Genesis. It's owned by Hyundai. It's in their building because okay. uh, their car, they have the Genesis luxury car. Right. And as m- my dinner guest explained to me, he has some connection to, to Hyundai. He said, they don't have to make money here. This is a branding element. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but I'll be back.
0: Right. <laughs> It does. Um, the best probably restaurant here is literally called the hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. It's this tiny, tiny place. Mm-hmm. And it's just one guy. He buys everything. He serves you. He cooks it. And he only buys like what he gets at the market, like what's good at the market that day. And then he makes something out of it.
1: Well, but see, and that it's is so place. European. It, it's what is there. What is mm-hmm. fresh? What is good? right Um, last night we were sitting around with a friend and she and my wife had gone to um gone to a local it's a combination nursery and little produce store Mm
0: -hmm. and they
1: picked up some cheese and some uh french bread and uh we're growing basil out back so we put together um, a caprese, you know, tomato, mm-hmm. with mozzarella, and basil, and some bread, and a couple of really nice cheeses they picked up there, including one I'd never seen before, which is a combination brie and blue, which was Ooh. just phenomenal, and a chevre. I we love sat-
0: both of those. That sounds yeah. amazing.
1: We sat around dining on this for a while, and I thought to myself, I'm back in Europe. I'm in heaven. Mm-hmm. This is just—it's good, pure, simple, wonderful, with with taste that that punches through. Uh, this same friend had given me a particularly good olive oil uh, a couple of months ago, so I brought that out and we were dipping mm-hmm. in that. Even though the Italians really don't dip bread in olive oil, it's a, it's an American uh, creation, okay. and I just felt to myself: this is how you should eat. It was, mm-hmm. it was phenomenal. I'm sorry. I'm just waxing. No, that that's, that's,
0: uh, we have gotten a little off of topic. Um, you did mention, or did maybe I made, uh, my brain made this up, but, uh, are you working on a new project?
1: I am. Well, first of all, I'm writing another book called okay. the working title is eating while standing. Uh, that's it's everything from hot dog carts to food trucks to okay. breakfast now being made fresh at convenience stores, to the food at state fairs. We went to the Minnesota State uh-huh. Fair when it was last held uh, for this. Uh, so that's underway. But I've also recently started a uh, a syndicated radio show called Martini Music with David Page, okay. which is um, focuses each week, on artists of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. It's basically the great mm-hmm. songbook and Sounds jazz. wonderful. And- that's, um, that's
0: like my auto music.
1: Oh, I'm having the most fun doing it. And, and I'm also reminding myself of just how good this stuff is. I mean, mm-hmm. the show I'm working on today is a singer, few people today probably remember, who was never considered the top of the game when you put him up against Sinatra or Tony Bennett, but as I listen to him, he's just wonderful. Vic Damone, who was fantastic after his early career as a, as a pop star, you know, he had a bunch of chart hits.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: His, most of his career was spent doing great American songbook classics in nightclub settings. And he was, Frank Sinatra said the guy had the best pipes in the business. So I'm having a good time and call your local radio station and tell them you want martini music with David Page because uh, syndication means you buy one station at a time or they buy it. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we're trying to grow our distribution. We're at a handful of stations right now, but growing.
0: Nice. and to close up um so where can listeners find you online
1: you can find me there's a food americana facebook page there's a Mm -hmm. food americana instagram and uh if you ask me or talk to me i'll talk back i'll answer nice Um, yeah and where
0: can they buy your book
1: pretty much any place um that'll sell your book online I, i send people to amazon first because mm-hmm. their metrics count in the behind-the-scenes waybooks and mm-hmm. all but Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, Amazon—they've um, all got it. And I just financed my daughter's graduate education, so please buy thirty or forty copies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And I do recommend that listeners search for the title Food Americana, because I did find out in the course of research for this that there is another David Page author. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. no. Spelled the same way. so
1: Litigation will ensue.
0: <laughs> He's dead.
1: Oh, okay. Well, we need <laughs> no litigation. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> well, it was wonderful talking to you today. I had a great time.
1: It was a delight. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Read&Write Podcast is edited and produced by Deborah Zebra. Music was provided by LoFi Girl and can be found at lofigirl.com or on their YouTube channel. Audio effects were created by Red Octopus and Black River Phonogram. Show notes and previous episodes can be found at readandwritepodcast.com. And that's it. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to rate Read&Write on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you have a suggestion for a future episode, drop me a line. I'm always open to suggestions. Also, did you know that Read&Write publishes three episodes a week? Check out the podcast's YouTube channel for Write With Me Monday's live streams and 30-second book reviews on Fridays.